Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It For was the day. best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I didn't bring any comments along today because we uh, we have a lot to talk about. But I will bring you some more comments, and I want to thank everybody that is commenting. I appreciate that you're happy we're back on the radio, and uh, we also appreciate that you're really excited to be listening again. So with me in the studio today is my great producer, Dan Arnfield. Say hello, Dan. Hello. And also with me in the studio today is one of my best friends in literature. And I have to be careful because my wife is also my friend in literature. But uh, uh, anyway, Mr. Grant Turgeon is back with me. So welcome back into the studio, Mr. Turgeon. I have no intention of superseding your wife. So <laughs> it's fine. You can just say one of your best. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you are one of the best. Now, on our last two programs, we began discussing the final required reading of the uh, the Moby Dick chapters. We uh, completed 71 and 81 of this incredible American classic. Now, if you're tuning in for just the first time today, you can go to my Twitter site, and the address is at jbliterature1. The list of chapters is featured there, so you could start reading from that list. Now, you may have to scroll through the site just to find the list, but it's there. I checked myself. Now, for today's program, we will be discussing basically chapter 93. Now, we're going to skip actually chapter 91. We'll talk about it briefly in the program today. But um, the title of the program is The Castaway, and it's really a sad tale about Pip. Now, Pip is short for Pippin. And if you uh, have read the previous chapters, we've already run into Pip in chapter 40. That's quite a while ago. But he is the African-American cabin boy on the welling ship Pequod. And so we encountered Pip all the way back in that chapter 40. And uh, Pip is really like a happy-go-lucky tambourine player. If you get into that chapter, it is actually one of Melville's how would you say, I don't know how to, exactly how to say it. It's an experimental chapter. And he was reading Shakespeare at the time. And so that whole chapter is like a Broadway show. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Pippin is playing the tambourine and all the guys are dancing. And uh, it's really, I know I've talked about this before, but, but Melville really was reading the Bible a lot during this, writing this, this uh, book. But he was also studying Shakespeare. Some of the chapters are pretty cool because they, they start with scene sets, you know. So now, um, chapter three, chapter 93, excuse me, is really the sad chapter of Pip. So he's not, <laughs> he's not the, uh, the tambourine guy in this chapter. <laughs> so, uh, I think it's also good to remember that Pip is Ahab's cabin boy. And, uh, what we have to admit about Pip, he might be happy and joyful, but he is really not cut out to be a sailor. <laughs> right. He's he's not meant to be out on the water. And so for him to be up on the ship, far away from the whales, down down in the boats, well, 
that's that's testing his courage enough. So yeah. for him to get even closer to the whales and be in the boats, that's yeah. going to be a tough task yeah. for him. Yeah. So Pip's story, especially as we're getting into this chapter, it, it actually in some ways begins a little bit in chapter 91. Now, as I said, we're not going to read that chapter, but that's the that's the chapter where the Pequod meets the Rosebud. And the Rosebud is a French ship and... Melville doesn't have a lot of nice things to say about the French. <laughs> he said they're kind of stupid whalers. <laughs> right. And that's yeah. sort of a, a, a funny theme throughout the book. Ishmael, the narrator, he, he says certain things about German sailors and British ones and French ones and Dutch ones. So he's he seems to really look down on other nationalities of sailors. He thinks that Americans are world class at it and... I mean, he probably is right about that. Yeah, I think it was definitely, and I know we've talked about in previous uh, programs, that um, really it's the whaling industry that put America on the map. And it was also, it's really one of the great blessings that came through Abraham because America made a lot of money from the whale industry. and But then the oil industry took over from that, so... But anyway, chapter 91 is really a pretty funny chapter because they uh, they convinced the French to uh, cut loose a dead whale. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what ties in with that is that, that uh, one of Stubbs' men sprained his hand when they're trying to steal the dead whale. They're stealing the dead whale because they want the ambergris in the brain. If you really understand about ambergris, it really smells great, but it how it's made in the whale is not great because <laughs> it's made in their intestines. And so uh, uh, sometimes you get a stinky whale. <laughs> right. It's, but, and, and it's funny the way Herman Melville describes ambergris because he says it's like in corruption coming forth out of corruption. So he's he's getting into First Corinthians there because yeah. this horribly putrid whale carcass somehow produces some of the most fragrant cologne in the entire world and it's still used right i mean it's still mined out of whales so uh if you have a chanel number five <laughs> good chance it came from well well inside <laughs> we'll, say it well that that's way. why that's why chapter 91 is so funny because the french have this carcass and there's a lot of value to it but they don't know enough they don't know to anything. realize what they have captured and so stub basically talks the french captain out of even keeping the whale. And yeah. so then the French sail away and then the Pequod comes up and they take over the carcass because they know there's probably a lot of ambergris still in the, whale. In the yeah. whale. Yeah. So let's begin today. We'll, we'll start around page 450 and that is chapter 93. It's called the, uh, the castaway. And I have written in my book, Pip is not cut out for whaling. So essentially what they have is they, uh, they have what they call ship keepers and, uh, Pip is, even though he is Ahab's cabin boy, he's also known as a shipkeeper. Now, uh, Stubb, one of his men, he loses on the oar boat or the canoe boat, I guess I should say. And uh, they run up with some more whales. Whales are coming. And so, so they, uh, they want to keep getting the oil. Now, remember, Ahab, all he cares about is Moby Dick. But, but you have Starbuck, who is the head mate, they know they need to get oil for the company. So Pip is known also as a shipkeeper. There is also another shipkeeper called Doughboy. <laughs> Pip happens to be really bright and happy and cheery. 
and he's really kind of smart. Uh, but uh, Doughboy was not not considered very smart. Now he's a cook, <laughs> but his name's Doughboy. So they have to find a replacement for this one of Stubbs' oarsmen, and so they decide to pick on Pip. Right. They they choose Pip to go on the boat, and now whenever they harpoon a whale, I mean Pip is going to be right there, <laughs> dragged along with the rest of the men on the boat. So yeah. he's terrified, but it, he does sort of get an unfair stain on his reputation here because I do think courage takes many different forms, and some people naturally have courage in certain areas. I mean, my father used to paint water towers. He'd go up way high. You know, those things tower over a city, and he'd go up there without a harness. I know. I couldn't even imagine doing something like that. But then there's other forms of courage that maybe some of us have that others don't as well. Pip just doesn't belong in this type of job. And you'd think maybe he could have easily avoided this job. But who knows? Who knows how he even became part of this ship? Right. What did he have a choice to be part of the ship in the first place? And now he's going down to one of the boats to actually capture a whale. <laughs> I mean, he probably would have chosen otherwise if he could. Doesn't mean he's a coward in general, but at least in this area, he's cowardly. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, we'll find out as we go through this now. Um, that just it's interesting how Melville uses Ishmael to tell the story. Too. So Ishmael is, you can tell that Ishmael is really for Pip. He's not, he's not against him at all. So anyway, you want to start on page 451. There's the middle of the page. It says, it came to pass that in the Ambergris affair, which uh, Mr. Turgeon has really instructed us in here, it says, uh, Stubbs after Orsman chanced to sprain his hand as for a time to become quite maimed and temporarily Pip was put in his place. The first time Stubb lowered with him, Pip evinced much nervousness, but happily for that time escaped close contact with the whale. So he's, he hasn't touched a whale. You know, he hasn't been in contact with one. But it's Ishmael is telling us he's really pretty nervous about being out in the water, <laughs> you know. And uh, Pip then was put into the place of this guy. It says the first time Stubb lowered with him, Pip evinced much nervousness, but happily for that time escaped close contact with the whale and therefore came off not altogether discreditably, though Stubb observing him took care afterwards to exhort him to cherish his courageness to the utmost, for he might often find it needful. <laughs> so Stubb knew. Stubb knew that Pip was really scared. Thankfully, Pip didn't get exposed the first time because they didn't catch a whale, yeah. but Stubb noticed that Pip was paralyzed by fear, and he tried to encourage him. Absolutely, absolutely paralyzed. So anyway, uh, he made it through the first lowering. Uh, it, it didn't go so well the second one. <laughs> and so, again, still on page 451, it says, Now upon the second lowering, the boat paddled upon the whale, and as the fist received the darted iron, it gave its customary rap which happened in this instance to be right under poor Pip's butt. I mean, seat. <laughs> so, so does that just mean the whale's tail is slapping the yeah, bottom of the boat? It slaps the bottom of the boat. Okay, it's mad. that is scary. It's mad, but it slaps the boat. Right. You know, it doesn't knock everybody out. But that would that would scare the daylights out of me. I'll For tell sure. You. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's totally understandable that Pip leapt up the way that he did. Yeah, because I've been to Alaska, and I've been in a skiff. And the big whales, the orca whales, are there. 
and one surfaced and then he went down and his tail was huge and i thought can you get us out of here because if that tail hits us we're done aren't those ones known for eating humans yeah yeah <laughs> that is scary <laughs> it's very scary <laughs> you know so anyway <laughs> during the second lowering then it says the involuntary consternation of the moment caused him to leap paddle in hand out of the boat and in such a way that part of the slackwell line coming against his chest so that you know that when they harpoon a, a whale you know it's tied the harpoon is tied so they get the whale and when pip jumps out of the boat he gets tied up in that cord <laughs> so he's not in a good good spot you know so. it's also really funny because uh tash tigo one of the harpooners said well should i should i cut him loose and it seemed like Stubb didn't even want to at first. He hesitated, but finally he said, fine, cut Pip free. And yeah. then he did. <laughs> but Tashtigo didn't want to cut him loose either. No, that's right. It says it says that Tashtigo hated him because he was a coward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, when you got a kid as a shipkeeper, <laughs> he's not a big body guy, you know. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a little Pip. He's a, he's a tambourine player. <laughs> so anyway, the whale takes off. And so you got to think, Pip is, as they say, as Melville says, his face turned blue <laughs> because he, he's suffocating, you know. And so they go ahead and they, they cut the whale loose. And uh, I, I think it's really, Mel- Melville really makes some really funny comments. It says, he says, now in general, this is page 452, it says, uh, now in general, stick to the boat. He's talking, this is, um, this is Stubb trying to be nice to Pip. He says, stick to the boat. It's your true motto in whaling, but cases will sometimes happen when leap from the boat is still better. Moreover, it's a perceiving at the last if he should give undiluted conscientiousness to advice to Pip. He would be leaving him too wide a margin to jump for in the future. <laughs> so all of a sudden, Stubb realizes uh, it may not be too good to be telling him when it's good to jump out. (laughs) Sometimes stay in the boat, sometimes jump. Actually, for you, Pip, you should always stay in the boat no matter what. (laughs) He goes and he says, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Melville calls it the peremptory command. In other words, he stopped being nice and he's telling them, look, stick to the boat, Pip, or by the Lord, I won't pick you up if you jump and mind that. We can't afford to lose whales by the likes of you. A whale would sell for 30 times what you would, Pip, in Alabama. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was pretty brutal. So he, he reminds him of him possibly going back into slavery yeah. on land if he doesn't get shape, <laughs> shape things up. Yeah. So, so I, think, I think the next statement is really funny, though. Hereby, perhaps, Stubb indirectly hinted uh, that though man loves his fellow, yet man is a money-making animal, which propensity too often interferes with his benevolence. <laughs> so, so in other words, he really doesn't care about Pip. He cares about the money. There's a limit to how much you care about someone if he is ruining your entire livelihood, it seems like. (laughs) So Pip is getting in the way of Stubb's job, and so Stubb does not have a lot of patience for that. And neither do the rest of the men on the boat either, because as soon as Pip is saved from strangling on the line, all the men are screaming and cursing at him. Oh, which is That's normally how it is when it's a group of men and one lets down the whole group it's like that in sports it's like that in a lot of areas where all the men's success depends on each person's contribution there's a lot of really hard 
positive peer pressure, I guess you could say, yeah. uh, between men. Yeah, it's like it's like Jesse Waters and how upset he was when Philadelphia lost the, the <laughs> <Right>. Super Bowl. <laughs> He's still grousing about that. <laughs> so, but uh, the next part is really funny, and this is Ishmael. Ishmael is really kind of a cool dude, you know. He says. But uh, he goes on to say, it was under uh, very similar circumstances to the first performance, but this time he did not breast out the line, and hence, when the well started to run, Pip was left behind in the sea. But we were all in the hands of God, and Pip jumped again. <laughs> right. So at least Pip learned and didn't get caught in the rope this time. That's right. He got better. Maybe next time he won't jump. We'll see. <laughs> if there ever is a next time. Yeah, but when the when the whale took off, Pip was left behind on the sea like a hurried traveler's trunk. So that so whenever they harpoon a whale, they're just dragged along for the ride oh, as long yeah. as the whale can yeah. stand it. It's called a, a a New Hampshire sleigh ride. Wow, that's what they call it because they they're gone. I mean, they go with the whale. So Pip is left behind in the the vast deep ocean. Yeah, there's two boats that are still with them. But they, they keep moving. They don't even know. They got distracted. Yeah. They saw some other whales, right? right. So they start going the other way. They started And so off. now Pip is really he's abandoned. Really, he's really abandoned now. Which is pretty scary to read, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's it, I could imagine what that would be like. And it, it did. It was a little bit hard to read just because that would be the most helpless feeling possible. Yeah. They did a movie not too long ago about a couple that got thrown out of their boat. And oh, they were wow. in the sea for days. And even, I mean, even the Apostle Paul, he spent days mm. in the sea. It could be terrifying. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was funny when he says, yeah, Pip, he jumped again. <laughs> so anyway, the other boats, they, they say, well, we're going to keep going. And they, they may not have seen him. I think I said in here on my notes that, uh, that Stubb really mean it, that he wasn't going to pick him up. Uh, but uh, he might I, not have had a choice. Yeah, I mean, unless I guess he could have cut the whale loose from the harpoon line. Yeah. to go back and get. Pip. They're not going to cut another whale loose. Yeah. yeah. So what um, Ishmael ends up saying is, alas, Stubb was, but too true to his word. It was, and then he goes on to say, it was a beautiful, bounteous blue day, the spangled sea, calm and cool, and flatly stretching away all around to the horizon. Like gold beater's skin hammered out to the extremes. But <laughs> this is a beautiful day. But bobbing up and down in that sea, Pip's ebon head showed like a head of cloves. No boat knife was lifted when he fell so rapidly astern. <laughs> Stubbs' inexorable back was turned upon him, and the whale was winged. In three minutes, a whole mile of shoreless ocean was between Pip and Stubb. <laughs> So, so out from the center of the sea, poor Pib turned his crisp, curling black head to the sun. Another lonely castaway, though the loftiest and the brightest. <laughs> He's still smart. He's still happy. But, uh, you know, in some ways it was a good day. It wasn't a stormy day. And he, then he goes on to talk about, he says, Now in calm weather to swim in the open sea is as easy to the practice swimmer as to ride in a spring carriage ashore. But the awful lonesomeness is intolerable. So isn't it, it's amazing, you know. I just love how Ishmael sees the best in people. He knows that Pip is is horrible at this job of being on the boat, going after whales, and yet he he keeps on reminding us Pip is a pleasant person. 
he he seems like he's humble and likable and funny and and so it's funny how Ishmael keeps on threading those details back in right just to remind us this is a a valuable human life and he is about to drown here so it does give you a lot of urgency as you read this part I really hope someone picks him up. I really hope that he doesn't get <laughs> left behind in the ocean. Yeah. He has a lot to contribute, even if he's not good at this particular job. He's still yeah. a human being. He still has value. Yeah. I like how Ishmael really turns all this around. And and uh, he tries to put a even a positive spin on what Pip experiences. And, and we'll talk about that. Uh, I know our time is is rushing away he from He tries us. to make Stubb look good, too. He says, well, Stubb yeah. figured the, the two boats behind him would pick yeah. Pip up. So yeah. Pip, Stubb promised that if Pip jumped a second time, Stubb would not come back and rescue him. And he ended up following through on that. But Ishmael claims that deep down, Stubb thought that right. Pip would be picked up by the other boats, which right. didn't happen. It didn't happen because they were all concentrating on whales. Um, he goes on there to say, uh, in the intense concentration of self in the middle of such a heartless immensity, uh, and then he takes uh, God's name in vain there, he says, who can tell it? Mark how when sailors in dead calm bathe in the open sea, mark how closely they hug the ship and only coast along her sides. So even the sailors would not jump in the sea unless they were really close to their boat. That's probably what sailors have nightmares about. Their, their ship leaving them behind. And oh, so yeah. they're going to make sure that even if they're in the water, they're touching the boat still or <laughs> touching right. the ship still. That's right. Then Ishmael said, but had Stubb really abandoned the poor little Negro to his fate? No. He did not mean to, at least. This is what you were just saying. <laughs> uh, because there were two boats in his wake and supposed no doubt that they would, of course, come to Pip very quickly and pick him up, though indeed such considerations towards oarsmen jeopardized through their own timidity is not always manifested by the hunters in similar instances and such instances not unfrequently occur almost invariably in the fishery a coward so-called is marked with the same ruthless detestation peculiar to military navies and armies <laughs> so, so he's basically saying the the boatmen and the other two boats probably think Pip deserves a death sentence at this point because he's jumped overboard twice. Exactly. So who knows? Yeah, he, probably even Stubb figured that they wouldn't really pick him up, but at least yeah. he could clear his own conscience by saying, well, I thought they would pick him I up. I thought they'd pick him up. Sure. Sure. So it says, uh, it, it goes on now. I think it gets really interesting here. It says, but the merest chance the ship itself at last rescued him. But from that hour, the little Negro went about the deck an idiot. <laughs> he drove him insane. Right. I mean, can you imagine? I, I was thinking about this as we were getting ready for this this morning. I'm thinking, how would I feel if you're out in this ocean and you can't see anything? I mean, after a certain, you're out there so long, you're not even going to be able to see the ships anymore. You know, it just gets big. And I think this is where where Melville was really struggling. Here he, he looks at the sea like the universe. And if you think about it, if you don't know, let's say if you don't know what God is, if you don't know what God is doing, you know, we could all be idiots. You know, but, but there's so many people have no spiritual backbone. They don't really know what's happening. And it's really kind of terrible. In some ways, what Ishmael then says is, 
and it's really the men that are calling him mad, the men on the ship, because they hate him anyway now. But really, I think what Ishmael says here, and I really do think this is Melville and his own thinking, is it says, um, uh, rather than carried down alive to the wondrous depths. And so in other words, he, he's able to stay afloat. But it says, um, he says, that this is a really good line. It says, the sea had jeeringly kept his finite body up, but drowned the infinite of his soul. If you look at the word soul, Melville brings it up quite a bit in this book. So he's really struggling with, you know, what is the purpose of man? What's really, what's really going on here? He goes on to say then, he was not drowned entirely, though. In other words, when I first read this, I thought he sunk to the bottom of the sea. No, he still stayed on top, but it affected him mentally. You know, in other words, uh, I think what uh, Ishmael is trying to say is he had a spiritual awakening. I think that's what he's really trying to say here. Because he said, um, rather than carried down alive to wonder steps where strange shapes of the unwarped primal world glided to and fro before his passive eyes and the miserman, wisdom, revealed his hoarded heaps and among the joyous, heartless, ever-juvenile eternities, Pip saw the multitudinous, God-omnipresent, coral insects that out of the firmament of waters heaved their colossal orbs. He saw God's foot upon the treadle of the loom and spoke it, and therefore his shipmates called him mad. And so he says, So man's insanity is heaven's sense. And wandering from all mortal reason, man comes at last to that celestial thought, which to reason is absurd and frantic, and will or woe feels then uncompromised, indifferent as his God. So the thing is, I think Ishmael is saying, you know, he wasn't mad. Is he had a spiritual awakening, and he began to think about the immensity of the earth and the universe, and he sees it in the sea, and uh, he didn't really go down underneath and see the miser man. But it's all of a sudden, it's it's like, it's almost like for Pip, the world opened up to him. And he could see there's a lot out there that he doesn't understand. And yet he did, maybe because he was saved, he did experience God. Well, Pip must have experienced such a severe level of panic that a million thoughts went through his head quickly. And he was probably out there thinking he was about to drown. The ship just happened to pick him up just in time. But if that hadn't happened, I mean, he was about to die. So he probably wants to know the meaning of life before he drowns, at least. Exactly. And and it's like, I think it's the people that get close to death, they do start thinking. They start analyzing more than that. I mean, when you're out there and you're alive and you're enjoying life, you're not going to think about, you know, about all this anyway. I mean, there's a lot of questions there. Like I said, did, you know, did Stubb really want to abandon Pip? I think Ishmael tells us no. Did the boats forsake Pip? I think they were just so caught up on the, in their whaling. It's interesting that the Pequod rescues him. And, uh, of course, as we get further into the book, you realize there's other ships like the Rachel, you know, and, and in some ways, Ishmael is really big into this thing with Pip because he later experiences the same thing. And remember at the end, there's only one guy alive. Pip is not. Pip's gone. But Ishmael is alive. Well, that's all the time for today's program. Now, on our next program, we will stay on the path of our final chapters of Moby Dick, and we'll begin discussing chapter 99. 
Now, you can buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. I buy a lot of books from ABE. You may also be able to find a copy in your local bookstore now that COVID is supposedly over. So, of course, you can also check uh, your local library. Now, please write any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. Now, you can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. And now that I'm really back in tune, I will be putting more content up on those two websites. So until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.